What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up. Anthony Sanfilippo is here. I'm Bob Wankel. And Anthony, we're talking on the morning after the Philadelphia Phillies were eliminated by the Arizona Diamondbacks, the 84-win Arizona Diamondbacks in Game 7 of the National League Championship Series at home after they had a 2-1 to lead and after they had a 2-0 series lead and a 3-2 series lead. I am uh, frankly just stunned that we are about to have the conversation uh, that we're going to have on this show. No, you didn't expect to have it. Um, I was probably a little less bullish on this team. I'm still stunned to be having it. So bring in and uh, I guess let's try to sort through the rubble here. Well, I I, I guess I got to say up front that I couldn't have been more wrong about this series. I won't say I couldn't have been more wrong about the team because I think that we understood what their warts were. And I don't think that the warts of the team are the reason that they lost this series. I think that they didn't adjust as well to what Arizona was doing as Arizona adjusted to what the Phillies were doing. Um, So I think ultimately that's what it came down to. But yes, this has to be, and, and, you know, I was thinking about it, you go through devastating playoff defeats in Philadelphia sports. This is this is up there, man. This is probably top two or three all time. And you could make an argument that it's at the top. I guess the only way you look at it and say, you know, the Eagles losing the Super Bowl last year probably is still stings the city a little bit more because it was the Super Bowl. You know, it's funny you say that, but I'm not entirely sure. I mean, football is a different animal here. It's a different beast. And you were in the Super Bowl, as you pointed out, and it was a 10-point halftime lead, and you were closer to the finish line. But in some ways, I don't know. I I, I almost feel like that there was a sense of, I don't know, they might not win this game, even at halftime, at least for me. for I, I think what was unique about this run for Phillies fans was that they felt like Obviously, you always have your pessimists out there, but I think there was an overwhelming sense that this team has a bunch of guys on it that will not crumble in the big spot, and they burned the fans this week. I mean, they absolutely imploded. And you know what's funny, man? Like, everyone talks about choke jobs, and I think that that term gets thrown around way too much. Like, that anytime something goes wrong or you don't get the result that you want, it was a choke job or that they shriveled up. And... I, I have to be honest with you, the morning after, really trying to sift through the at-bats and what we watched, I don't think that all, all the players on this team choked. I don't. But I do think that once things started to snowball against them, they did get tight and that they did press and they did try to do too much. And if you want to call that a choke job, maybe that's what a choke job looks like because they blew it. Well, they definitely blew it. Um and it's funny, I you know, I think back, I'm always the big picture, look at it from a from a you know a bigger longer length of time thing. And I look back to our preseason predictions, Bob, and um my preseason prediction was that the Phillies would lose in the National League Championship series. And when you know, if it had turned out as I thought back in March, I would sit here and tell you this was a successful year. But the way it turned out 
because I had them losing back then. I had them losing to Atlanta in the NLCS. The way it turns out, and the team that you lose to, and in the way that you lose the series and blow the series 2-0, 3-2, winning game seven, and then lose the game, there it's not successful. It's a completely and wholly unsuccessful outcome. Um, and and yes, they they blew it, and that's why I said to you, I like this goes up there. Yeah, you know, this goes there with that with the Eagles losing to Tampa in the NFC Championship game and at the last game at the Vet. I think that kind of fits in the, into the same um, the same mold a little bit. So like there are so there aren't many awful defeats. This is one of them, and and they came up short. And and here's the here's the the real disappointing thing I think for a lot of fans. We talked about so much how this team was on the precipice of being the most beloved team in the history of this city. They're now going to go down in history without even a, any recognition that this season existed. This is the first time in the franchise history. I was thinking about this last night. I was talking about this with with uh, Destiny Legardo while we were waiting to walk into the um, into the clubhouse. This is the first time in the franchise's history that there will be a playoff outcome that does not result in some sort of banner being flown at Citizens Bank Park. Every other year that they've lost, they they won the division or won the National League. So they were able to put up either a white division flag or a blue uh, yeah. pennant, National League pennant, right? The red ones are for the World Championships. This is the first time they've ever been in the playoffs not winning a division and not winning the pennant. So really this historical season of love and and passion for this team and this connection is simply going to be lost to time. Yeah, there's not going to be a 10-year reunion in in 2033 to celebrate the actually the way that this organization honors Past teams there might be. We might be doing a 10-year for the team that beat the Braves in the NLDS. Put your hands together. Um, but you're no, but right. You, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it's it's almost like it's it's a season that was that's going to just be another season. Like, we look back at those teams that, that lost um, in, in previous playoff years, and, they, yeah, they sucked. They, it sucked. This, this, this reminds me of the sucking feeling – when they lost to the Giants, right? Like that right. was a significantly better team than the Giants in my estimation, and they shouldn't have lost, and they did. Um, but at least they won the division that year, and you look up there and you say, oh, I remember 2010. You yeah. Know, yeah, yeah, it sucked that they lost that NLCS, but you remember the year, right? There's not going to be a, a remembrance of 2023 anywhere to kind of remind you to talk about it. It's right. going to slide into the passing of time in my mind. What's interesting is you said that the the warts of this team weren't really what in the end got them. I, I would actually just not that I disagree with that, but this was a team that couldn't hit home runs for four months this season. And then essentially their entire offense was supercharged by the home run. And for two series and two games into the NLCS, I mean, actually, I know they didn't really hit any home runs like the Marlins series. They did the game one. They didn't homer but the home run kind of propelled them against Atlanta. It certainly propelled them throughout this series. They, they get to the end though, and they couldn't really do anything else, but Homer. 
And when that wasn't there, they didn't have the ability to string together hits. Like you look at game six, one for seven with runners in scoring position through three innings. They couldn't even get a runner in a scoring position at the, uh, the final six innings of game six. Last night, one for 10 with runners in scoring position. They didn't have a hit after Kyle Schwarber's leadoff double in the fifth. They weren't able to generate and string together and pressure Arizona. They just were not able to do it. It was like they were completely living and dying by the ability to drive the baseball at that point. And the situational hitting for this team. And actually, you know, it's funny. Like I should have gone back and looked at where they actually finished the season in terms of where, how they hit with runners in scoring position. But I know for months we talked about their struggles with situational hitting and how they just struggled with it. I mean, they were dismal from game three on with runners on base, with runners in scoring position, especially. And their situational hitting just absolutely killed them in this series. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess when I say that they're, the warts, we know what their warts were and it weren't what, what killed them here. I, I, yes, of course, the hitting with runners in scoring position was a problem. Um, what I meant by that was they still could have done what they were doing this entire playoff season prior to game three um, against Arizona. They just didn't recognize the changes that Arizona made against them mm-hmm. and just assumed that they could continue to do what they were doing. That's where I say. And that, to me, was not a wart that this team had shown because I we have seen it, seen this team do a lot of good things at different times during the year. They were winning games prior to August without hitting the home run, right? I mean, so they found ways to get runs home. They found ways to have great pitching um, at, for a month to carry them. If you remember back in um, in June, at the beginning of June and into late June, they didn't have a lot of power uh, or, or good offense. That They were winning games with great pitching. Um, so they found other ways to win games, and then the power came in August, and, and that's when everything started to go, okay, this team is going to just ride this now. They can, they can take this wave. So it's not that I felt that, yeah, of course, the runners in scoring position thing was a thing all year. But they didn't adjust to what Arizona was doing pitching to them. Yeah. I, you heard Ginkle say it. He said they, they wasn't going to throw him a fastball because they kept swinging at the slider. They knew. And that's where, that's where it was. That's the surprise to me that this, this is a veteran team that understands. I mean, you saw how they – change their approaches again to do things against Atlanta. How do you suddenly not figure it out against Arizona? And that to me is the, that's where the surprise is. That's why I say it's not the typical warts that they have. We know what those are, but this was, that was the, to me, the difference in this series. I think that that's where they lost it. Yeah, it was. And it was surprising that they failed to make those adjustments. I didn't think that they made particularly great adjustments against Brandon Fault either. You know, you go and look at yeah. his night. They they did a little bit better against them. They scored two runs in four innings. They, they had a couple chances there. Uh, but he, again, was pretty good. Created a lot of swing and miss. Uh, had them off balance for the most part. I mean, Alec Bohm's homer aside the first three innings, he dusted through the Phillies lineup. So, you know, they got to him a little bit there in the fourth, but even then he escaped the jam and he had a really good outing for them. Like if they knew going into that game that he was going to give up two runs over four innings, they would have taken that. They would have taken that in a heartbeat. And so that kid delivered. And again, the Phillies were unable to really take advantage of a situation where you felt that the offense was probably going to thrive. 
Uh, real quick on the runners in scoring position thing, they actually finished the regular season 13th. As the yeah, season progressed, the, the numbers yeah. did kind of, uh, you know, get back towards the middle of the pack. But it's interesting, in the NLCS, they were 12 for 51, and they did not hit a home run with runners in scoring position. So they hit 235 against the Diamondbacks. The only other thing I'll say about that is that the Diamondbacks only hit 218 against the Phillies with runners in scoring position. So Arizona actually missed out on a number of opportunities throughout the duration of this series, too, to sort of cash in and and, and score in some, some key spots as well. You said something very interesting last night while we were sitting there. You said, and this was early, like it was after, I think it was the fifth inning when you said it. You said, if they lose this game tonight, it's going to be because any one of nine different things didn't happen that they could yeah. have happened. Yeah. That there were like little opportunities along the way that could have happened and would have changed the outcome of that game. Um, and I think that you were spot on when you said that, because if you, if you, if we want to microscope the game seven, there were individual moments where you go, yeah, that could have made a difference. Yeah. That could have made a difference. And look, you mentioned that they were one for ten. Two guys were zero for five, and those two guys make six hundred and thirty million dollars combined. Trey Turner, zero for three with runners in scoring position. Bryce Harper, zero for two with runners in scoring position. You know, you need your big guys to come through in a game seven, and the Phillies' big guys did not come through in the game seven. You can sit there all you want. And complain about the lineup, complain about the bullpen usage, complain about managerial decisions. When it all come came down to it, your two best players had five chances to drive in a run and didn't do it. That's that's how you lose a two run game in game seven. Yeah, you're you're right about that. And you look at Trey Turner's final five games of this series, he went three for twenty one. Uh, a lot has been made about Nick Castellanos and the way that he finished the series. He went 0 for 20 with 10 strikeouts. And you talk about the laundry list of things that if any single one of them would have gone right or gone the other way, you probably are looking at a different result. And I, I think the biggest one that I have circled is when you go to the fourth inning and you get to fought and it looks like you have an opportunity to sort of, I don't want to say drop the hammer, win the game, end it there, because there's a lot of baseball left to be played. But you get Nick Castellanos up with the runner on third, runners on the corners, less than two outs. You need contact. You need a fly ball there. And he swings and misses at three sweepers. He gets ahead in the count, 1-0. And he swings and misses at three consecutive sweepers. And the second one was not a good pitch. It hung in the zone. It got a lot of plate. And you just knew, like, you knew in that at bat, like, he was not going to put the ball in play. And we all know the deal. And Rob said it after the game last night. You know, when he's going well, he, he goes well. And and when he doesn't, he doesn't. And this is what he is. And you have to take the good with the bad. And I guess. But you'd also think that a guy, talk about salaries and big money. Okay. You know, were you going to repeat the Atlanta series? No. Should you be able to put the ball in play when your team needs you to man up, bear down, and put the ball in play? Yeah, like, and if he were 8 for 20 and he didn't do that, you say, oh, it's just bad timing. 
But I mean, to just have brutal at bat after brutal at bat for a week yeah. and, and have no adjustment. Ah, that's, that's really tough, man. I got to tell you, like, that's, that's pretty tough. Um, and so that that's a that's a big one. And then I just I would also just go back and say, like, if you look at the the fifth inning, the, it's a two-one game. There's two outs. Like they're one out away from getting through the fifth inning with the lead. And instead, it turns into Carroll tying the game at two. And then they go to Hoffman and he fails to deliver and keep the game tied, and it goes three-two. Like it was just an absolutely from the bottom of the fourth to the top of the fifth. It was a, a game changing sequence. You went from the yeah. Phillies being up three, maybe, you know, two, three runs, maybe getting a big inning to we're losing this game. And then you see the Harper fly ball in the bottom of the fifth. It gets caught at the fence. Then you start having flashbacks to Raul Banez in 2011, flying out to the warning track. I mean, it is, it's like, at that point, I think that's when I actually said to you if any one of these nine things would have yeah. gone differently. Because at that moment, I said, I've seen this before. And I'm not trying to do the Negadelphia thing. I, I, I just, you're like, man, I, 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 know, I know a little bit about baseball. I've seen some baseball. I could see this thing playing out this way. And sure enough, it, it did. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you that another, you know, one of the managerial decisions that I questioned and I remember, you know, asking you because it was early in the game, and it, it, it is a, a, a tough call, but it's a call that I think they made the wrong call on. Was in that same spot, and you're talking the bottom of the fourth. You have bases loaded, two outs, and Rojas is coming up. I would have, I would have pinch hit. All right, so I, I don't I mean to you I, I, I said it to you in the moment, right? I mean, so I'm not saying this, in, this is not a 2020 hindsight thing, right? This is. In the moment, I said I would bat for him here because you have a. Ch- this is a chance to put the game away, and they let him bat, and we knew that he wasn't going to get any pitch to hit, and he looked awful in that at bat. So I agree with you in that letting Johan Rojas hit in a spot where you can essentially break the game open and change the entire feel of it is bad, and if I can. If I have a great, if I have a good alternative, I'm I'm going to do it. My problem, I think, and what what I, one of the things I see with Twitter, and when I talk to my friends about these games, it's like, well, Rob Thompson didn't do this, and I say, okay, and like I know I probably come across as a manager apologist with what I'm about to say, but like here's my rebuttal to that, and as Rob explained after the game. If I go to Jake Cave, they have Mantiply. So I'm going to burn Jake Cave. And I'm fine burning Jake Cave because, like, if I'm relying on Jake Cave later in the game to win it for me, something has gone terribly wrong. So burning Jake Cave, as Rob Thompson noted, like, honestly, my one pushback to Rob would be, who gives a shit? Right. And it, it, But in the same breath, you burn Jake Cave and then you have to go to Pache and Pache gives you the bat later in the game where he walks. And I I suppose that Pache is a better hitter than Johan Rojas, I guess, but Christian Pache at two thirty-eight this year. So he hadn't had an at bat since October 9th. You're right. Your options like, no, listen, if your options and like, this is on Dave Dombrowski and this is on this front office. Like everyone was like, Oh man, Trey Turner figured it out in August. They didn't need to add another outfielder. They didn't need to add another bat. 
Well, what do we say? They needed to add a right-handed bat. They needed to add a right-handed bat. And then everyone sort of forgot that. Everyone got off of it, right? Well, yeah. guess what? They needed to add a right-handed bat. Because now you have Christian Pache up as your best pinch hitting option off the bench. It's not good enough. If you're op- if you're seriously at the end of the day going like, and I know you're not, but a lot of fans are like, they lost the game right there. No, they didn't. If your options are Jake Cave, Johan Rojas, or Christian Pache, and that's why you think you lost a chance to go to the World Series, give me a break. Yeah, no, I, I agree that it didn't lose the game there. But my – so why I would have gone Pache, although I, I would have considered Sosa as well. I, and I guess the only reason they, they don't want to consider Sosa is if you burn Sosa as a pinch hitter, then you really have no one to come in in the, in the end. Yeah, because now you're going through – because you have the lead. And now you've now burned through two bench options right. or in a bat in the fourth inning. Like right. that's tough to do. Yeah. But yeah so I, ideally it would have been Sosa. Right. So, so, okay. But the reason I would still go Pache, because then you, you don't, you force them to not go to Mantiply. Okay. You still saves cave on your bench and it's bases loaded. And the one thing we know about Christian Pache is he takes pitches. So the kid is out there struggling, Right. See if he's see how he pitches him with bases loaded and nobody and two outs and, and like knowing he can't make a mistake and we've seen Pache run into mistakes before, you know I mean hell he had that walk off home run in Florida in Miami Florida, if you remember Florida. earlier this year right um, with two outs in the, in the ninth inning as a pinch hitter so like to me that was a time to do it that was a time to maybe get and look if Pache Pache the worst thing that could happen is Pache does the same thing as Rojas and right. strikes out and the innings over. And you still have a good defensive center fielder. Yeah. And, and, you know, nothing else changes. So that's why I would have done it differently. Listen, I and I totally get it. Like, I, and I would have, if, if they did that in real time, I would have said, sure. You know, I, look, yeah. it's not like I have a pushback against Johan Rojas not taking that at bat. I, I just, I guess, like, as, as we've pointed out, if any one thing goes differently, maybe, you know, we're talking about a different result. I guess just when I rank these things out, like, you know, I listen to a lot of sports talk radio and I hopped in the car this morning, got my Dunkin' Donuts and I turn on Joe DeCamera and he's just, he just is beside himself about the, the fact that they let, they let Johan Rojas hit. And I said on Friday, they shouldn't let Johan Rojas hit. Like, give me a break, dude. Like if, if Johan Rojas did not lose the series for the Phillies. He can't hit. I know he can't hit. I'm not telling you that Johan Rojas should be the starting center fielder next year. It's not a defense of Johan Rojas, but like this came down to the fact that your best hitters didn't get no, it done yeah, exactly. in the exactly. final two games at home. And I do think if you want to start playing revisionist history and, and you know, Wednesday morning quarterback, I do think it's fair. Like you can pick apart Rob a little bit. Like I don't love the way that they approached the bullpen in game four. I, I think that that was something in real time that I was like, Oh, I don't know about this. I don't like that. You, you burn through the arms the way that you did that. You went back to Craig Kimbrell in that spot. Like, I had a problem with that in real time. I did. Yeah. And and I think that they managed this series in a lot of ways from a pitching perspective, much the way they did the five-game series against Atlanta. And I'm not sure that they needed to do that. So I do think that from a, a from a pitching plan standpoint and the way that they deployed the bullpen arms, there's some criticisms there. You can look at the pinch hit last night and, and you can potentially criticize that. But I think that if you're going to do all that, why don't we go up a step further and – you know, Dave Dombrowski has brought a sense of professionalism to this organization, a sense of belief that we're doing the right things and we know how to win. And I think that he should be applauded for that. 
And a lot of these moves and free agent additions that he's brought in, I think he should be applauded for. I think that his his tenure here thus far has been an overwhelming success. So this isn't like a fire the GM or, you know, the president of baseball. It's it's not that at all. But if we're being real here, go back to what we just talked about. Rojas, Pache, Cave. Couldn't have done a little bit more than that? Talking about maybe being a bullpen arm short. Michael Lorenzen, like who did a nice job in game six, but wasn't a guy that you were counting on, not a guy that you were looking to turn to. That's the best you could do at the trade deadline. And the thing is this, we talk about, well, you know, they were second place team, third place team at that point, wherever they were, they weren't going to win the division. Do you really want to go on all in? Do you really want to burn any more of your, your prospect resources? We had those conversations at the time. Well, yeah, I, I think so. In hindsight, like, I think maybe another arm there might have helped you a little bit. And, and, and I think that that's – I think you're right. I mean, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. But the one thing I, I really think is what, what probably limits him a little bit is as great a job as he's done in his time as the president of baseball operations for the Phillies, he's still to this day – a little bit limited by the failings of the previous regime. And by that, I mean, you only have a handful of prospects that teams would be interested in. And are you going to burn guys and you you do some self evaluation and you sit there and go, Justin Crawford is going to be a player for us. Mm Mm-hmm. I know he's in single A, but he's going to be a player for us. Are you burning a Justin Crawford type just to bring in a, a bench guy or a, no, and, another and, bullpen guy? And that's, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, so so the separation from your top prospects to the next tier down, I think there's too wide of a gap. So you yeah. either have to give up something good that you don't want to give up, or you don't have. What that what is in the, you don't have enough in the cupboard to get what you need, and I think that that's kind of where what where it was. And 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 total fairness to him as well. Like this isn't like a hey, like everyone gets the blame. Like call him to the carpet. Like I don't know what his targets were. I don't know what the conversations were. I don't know what the asks were. I would just say that if we're going to sit at home and we're going to criticize the manager for his moves, I would say okay, let's just take another step back and look at the fact and the reality that. In a perfect world, he was left maybe a little bit short here. Yeah. That's all. I don't think that Rob had a great series here. I don't. I think that Rob's done a great job in both of these seasons to get this team to play and peak at, at the right time. This time it ended five wins short of, of where they wanted to be. Like, I, you know, if you're sitting here saying today that Rob Thompson isn't the right guy for this team, I, I don't know what the hell you've been watching the last two years. No, I, I, I you know me, I, I, tend to be a guy who defends the manager as well yeah, but I, um, I don't think he had a great series and i do think that some of the, yeah. the the tactics here can be questioned i think that's fair if you're sitting there listening to this and saying well wait a minute you know like what is he exempt from blame no he's not right i just think that you know the reality of it is is that if we're going to start to pick apart these smaller in the weeds decisions then i think that you at least have to ask yourself like well why is it that he had to make this decision uh because like starting johan rojas as good as he is defensively like, I'm sorry, like, you can't just say, like, well, you know what, we uh, we have 
eight guys out there that we really like offensively so we can plug in a, a, a pitcher in the nine hole. It just isn't – it's not ideal, man. Yeah, well, look at – I mean, you know, you want to make a, a, a comparison that showed a, a slight difference between the winning team and the losing team in a seven-game series. You look at Johan Rojas at the plate and you look at Perdomo at the plate. For yeah, Perdomo Arizona. was a pain in the ass. He didn't have a great series, but he – did enough contributed yeah he was a factor he did more than a pitcher would do hitting ninth right <laughs> i mean so and that's that, and that's what i'm trying to say is like rojas basically was a pitcher batting ninth you didn't have you, all he was was you had a defensive replacement for schwarber is what it was and, and then you had a basic old and national league lineup um and that's not again not a knock on rojas he's just a kid that was not his bat was not where it needed not ready to be for this for, for, yeah. the, for this level right um, and it probably shouldn't have mattered. Like, I, 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 yeah. I, I know we're starting to like recycle the talking points here. Like, if the other guys do their job, then it doesn't matter. And and we probably could win the World Series and overrate what Johan Rojas is for the rest of time, which is right. what we would do. But yeah, no, look, and Bob, this is why we say all the time, and I, well, we say it on this podcast for for baseball purposes, but I say it in in other places for other sports as well. Winning a championship is hard. It is not easy. And they should not have lost a series to the Arizona Diamondbacks, but this stuff happened to them. And it ha- it happened to them, not the Diamondbacks got great and whatever. The Diamondbacks were okay. I give them credit the way they played the last two games especially. I thought they did a nice job, okay? K- kudos to them. But the Phillies should not have had happen. What happened to them – but it happened. These things happen in sports all the time, and you always say, "Well, this team's got their low energy, or this team's they're weak minded, or whatever." It's not always that simple. It's right. there's a lot of complexity to not winning, and things need to come together for you to win. And for some reason, things started to snowball on the Phillies in this series to the point where, you know, even those of us who watch the games. And sit there and go, well, okay, so that's one game it, it happened to them. Okay, well, th- it was kind of a little bit different in that game. Maybe throw the game four onto the manager, you know. And you know, game six was like, oh, that was an ugly game. But they're re- they're going to be fine yeah. in game seven. Like, like, we really believed what we believe for a reason because we're down there. We talk to these guys. We see them. You, you get a real sense of who these people are as, as people let alone as athletes and, the, and the, the talent that they are. And so there's a there's an inherent – understanding of humanity in a sense of human nature that makes you say have the 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 beliefs that you have when we when we sit here and talk about it there was nothing that indicated to us that the Phillies were going to go into the collapse that they did last night or or over the last two games for that matter and yet it still happened it it can happen quick in sports man and it, it does and that's what you know, I'm not trying to say it as an excuse because it's not. There is no excuse for the Phillies losing. But this is the thing that happens to good teams a lot of times. Why a good team, a good, a certain good team doesn't win, and it happened to the Phillies. Fair to say that the Phillies, in in some ways, gave this series away to the Diamondbacks. But once it reached Game Six, the the Diamondbacks won this series. Like yes. on merit, they earned. Yes, they earned what they. I mean, they came into. Big bad Citizens Bank Park can't win here during Red October. And they shut the Phillies down in game six. They came back, fell behind in game seven, 
and dominated them down the stretch. I mean, the Diamondbacks deserved to win this series once it got back to Philadelphia. They truly yep. did. I don't think Arizona did anything special in the first five games. I think the Phillies, it was a lot of self-inflicted damage. But once it turned back here, I mean, as, as unimpressed as I am with the Diamondbacks from a roster construction standpoint or just looking at that team and saying like, oh, wow, yes, in a seven-game series, this is a team I would pick to win. Uh, I just am not. And I'm, it didn't really change for me this week, but they were tough and they they just got it done. And uh, it's a truly surprising result. And I have a question for you based off of that. You know, there's going to be a lot of talk about what this means big picture for the Phillies. And, you know, one of the things I, I had said to you last night was this is going to change things. It's going to change the way that people feel about this this team moving forward. Um, I don't think that we're going to be like in a Sixers level, like amount of distrust here, like where it's like all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, talk to me in October. Um they, they did get to a World Series last year. Like, they did pull an upset to get this far last year, and then they folded. It, it's not quite the same thing. Like, I think Marcus Hayes wrote, you know, like, hey, Joel Embiid and James Harden, say hello to Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber was, like, the gist of what he wrote yeah. after the game. Um, I don't I don't see it that way. Like, I don't – I think that this might have actually been a, a worse choke job in that they probably would have won a championship and, and should have. But it, like at least they did something before their choke job. I got that's sort of the way I look at it. But my question is then, what is, does this do for the way fans view the Phillies in 2024? Because I don't think that the Garrett Sub stuff is quite as cute now, and I don't think. And I'll talk about the Stubbs thing because I we, we agree on on the Stubbs thing with this series, but I don't think that he's going to be received like quite as like oh that's that's the our backup catcher like there's going to be a thing there which for some people anyway, and I do think that like the dancing on my own like you'll never hear that shit again. You won't hear dancing on my own at Citizens Bank Park until 2032. Like that's over. Um. I just feel like that there's going to be a little bit of distrust with this team that wasn't previously there. What's your thought? Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's a little bit. I think that's an indic. We're indicative of the, of the time, um, and when when I say that, because there have been teams in the past that have had eras of of good play, consistently contending for a title, maybe even won one go back 15 years to the Phillies of that era when they, you know, five straight division titles. And I don't think that there was from one season to the next to the next this uh, talk to me in October kind of attitude. And if you go back, even some Sixers teams back in the olden days and the Flyers when they were good, same thing. I, I don't necessarily think that the fans back then were a um, we don't trust you until – you you prove it to us at the on mm -hmm. the biggest stage thing. I don't. We it just didn't. You you kind of got behind your team and hope sprung eternal every every season. And you supported them through the year. You wanted to go on the ride. And then when you got to the playoffs, it was like okay, let's do it. And then if they disappointed you, they disappointed you. But you were right back. Today's generation, for whatever reason, and I don't I don't quite understand it, but they're so damn skeptical about everything. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, I agree with you that I think. Should it be that way? No, but will it be that way? Yes, a hundred percent. Yes, you're right. I mean, I think that you know we're gonna be back talking on this podcast, you know, in April, 
and you know the Phillies are going to have a great series in April. We're going to talk about you know a good start. Let's just say they get off to a good start. Hey, Phillies finally got off to a good start. You know this is the kind of team. You know they they they're on like this uh, you know revenge tour now throughout the summer, and you know and people are going to come back at us and be like, yeah, show me in October. Yeah, I mean yeah. people will say that. I'm not saying yeah. that they should, but that I do. Right, think it's going to be there. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be the attitude in this town, and I don't get I don't get it. I don't like it, but it is it is what it is. But you're and I think you're right. It's going to be that. <clears throat> It's it's not that the it's not that fans are going to say like oh I don't I don't love Kyle Schwarber anymore I don't love uh, Trey Tur-. like it's I don't think that it becomes like an individual thing but what I what I do think is that these guys were perceived even after losing in the World Series up two to one with a with a fourth game uh, you know at home with a fifth game at home like they they were in an advantageous spot last October to win the World Series but even though they didn't get it done, I think there was this sense of like that they had maxed out their potential and they just ran out of gas. This is a totally different exit. Yeah. And so I think that even all through this, and I know that people were very critical of them back in the spring, including myself. And, and I don't know if you were, I can only speak for myself, but I was like, yo guys, like you're better than this. Like this is loser stuff to come out of the gate like oh, this. Again. For two months we were that way, right? It's April and May for sure. But I think that there was like this overall sense though, especially once they got the wheels turning again this season, that these guys are winners. And when it matters, they step up and they get it done. And, you know, they they did it in the, the, the Marlins series. They certainly did it in the Atlanta series. And it was just this idea that they're not going to let us down because these guys are so tough. And again, talking from a fan standpoint, like they embody what we are. These are our dudes. We connect with them. They're going to go out and they're going to fucking handle business. And now they got an opportunity to do it against an inferior opponent. We're going to win a championship. And so they've always been looked at as winners, as players that rise to the occasion. Well, guess what? Like, because even when they were going through their struggles this year, it was like, well, you know, it's hard. It's like it's not October. It doesn't quite have a, the same juice to it. So you could even explain away like some early season struggles as like complacency. Well, this isn't about complacency. This is about failing in the moment. And so now the perception goes from these guys are winners to these guys are just like every other Philadelphia team. They all yeah, I know. And I but that but that's my point, Bob. But when I when I said earlier, it's hard to win a championship. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand. And I think that that's and I think that that's where some grace needs to be given some again. I'm not excusing losing to the Diamondbacks. They should not have lost to them. I can't reiterate that enough. But I do think moving forward, there does need to be some grace and understanding. And maybe time will heal that a little bit and fans will be a little bit more understanding. Um, but once this is what happens, you know, last year we were on. You know, we were on a fun, free ride, and this year we paid to be on the ride, right? I mean, that's the difference. Like, so we had an expectation. Like last year was like it came out of the blue. Oh my God, Phillies are good again, and now this year it's like, oh, the Phillies are going to be good. We're going we're to be there all the way, and then they let you down in the end. So that's why I think what you're saying is why that happens. I, I don't know. I, I think Harper said it best last night. You know, he's like when when he was asked about it, he said, you know we hurt as much as you do like you know we know you're hurting and we're we're, we hurt with you but we'll be back I think the fans should should accept that you know if they do it again and again and again then I think that they have a more of a right to be like hey same song and dance and not you know not coming through 
But I think I think you there does need to be a little bit of grace for this team next year. There was no question being in there last night. We're both in there. Uh, Aaron Nola, Reese Hoskins, uh, Castellanos, just listening to all these guys talk. Like, and then you just do the, the survey survey around the room. Like, there was a sense of shock and disappointment, and guys were were genuinely upset. And you know, I, I guess you expect to hear that. But if you're listening to this and you're angry as hell this morning and you, you want blood, like, just know that. All you had to do was take a couple looks around the room and you knew that those guys were devastated by what happened. It wasn't for a lack of we like we don't care or like, oh, yeah. you know, whatever. We're we're millionaires. We'll just go live our lives tomorrow. Like there was a sense of, you know, that togetherness that we felt or that the city felt with the team. Like those guys felt that with one another. You know, you start to win these games the way you do late in the year and it, it really strengthens that connection and that bond. And I think a lot of them felt that you know, the way that they they kind of had gelled and meshed the last two years that they were going to do it. And I, I think that they were very surprised to see that season come to an end last night. Uh, I, I have one more question on this front. I know we actually planned to go short today, but I, I have one more question about like the perception and the way that fans feel. We talked about the team overall. What do you make of where Trey Turner ends year one? Because I, I have one additional thought on this. Like the, the standing O stuff was great. He saves his season. He really helps the Phillies get to the NLCS. He was phenomenal against the Braves. Uh, great. He was terrible in the NLCS, yeah. especially the, the final six games of it. So do you think, it's possible that fans like they have a little extra for him right now than maybe the rest of the team in that. Like it was so, it was such a fun story. Like we, we clapped for Trey and then he played great baseball. And, and I think that's real. I'm not trying to like belittle what happened there. Uh, but like, then he kind of burned them again in the end. And is it sort of like, well, dude, what the hell? We thought we were over that. And, and here it comes again at the absolute worst time. I'm kind of curious, like, because he's not, you know what Trey Turner isn't like, he's not the dude that gets on the mic and says the Bryce Harper, like we let you down. Like I let the, my city down. This is my city. Like he's not that guy. And he's not Castellanos who gives like the super awkward, but charismatic interview. He He's kind of a little bit different in that way. And, and then like he, he shriveled up at a, a huge moment. So like our fans cool with Trey Turner after this year they sort of like yeah like we need more from you next year like where do you leave with Trey Turner after one year yeah well I mean I think it it, you know in the grand scheme when you put it all together it was and it was not to the level of expectation you had coming in but it also wasn't an outright disaster so I think it's one of those where it's like okay let's see what year two brings and if he gets off to a slow start, then I think that the fans could start turning on him. Um, but That's I think my read. That, yeah. My read is like, okay, like we were disappointed in that finish. This was a weird year. We kind of felt each other out a little bit, but like there's not going to be much grace going into 24. Yeah, no, it's, I think, you know, just, just be who he's supposed to be. And I think everything's fine. Yeah. Um, but if, but if he's, if he gets off to another start like he did 23. I could get, I could You're get not scary. expecting any uh, more standing O's then, I'm, I'm assuming, no. at that point. No, I don't think so. All right. I mean, listen, I, I had other things I wanted to ask you about, the futures of NOLA and Hoskins. Uh, yeah, well, we can get think- into that because we had 
Well, you yeah. got in, you listened in on Hoskins. I talked to Nola for a bit too. I mean, you were there for getting in Nola, and then I know you got all all of Hoskins. Um, I actually asked Nola a, a, a question just to get his emotional response and not to get the actual answer. Um, and I got what I wanted out of it, and I don't think he's coming back here. I don't either, but. No, do you I really to, I really don't think he's coming back here. Do you want to share that or Yeah, yeah, all right, I'll share it now. I don't know if we want to save it for the next episode. We do oh, have... we can save it. No, let's save it then. Yeah, I like, you know, I like a tease. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll I'll just move the conversation forward then. Yes, I don't <laughs> think he's coming back either. I mean, I left, I guess, at that point once you would ask that question, but uh you know, I sat there and listened to him for nine and a half minutes and he seemed like a guy that that knew he was gonna get a lot of money from someone that probably wasn't going to be this team. Uh, that's and that like, he wants to be here in a perfect world. If, and maybe what you heard, I can't wait, <laughs> but maybe what you heard was different. I heard like, yeah, if, if I guess I could pick to stay here, I would, but like, ain't going to happen. Um, Hoskins. I just don't think it works from a roster standpoint. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know how they'd make it work. Well, the only thing I can think of, that gets Hoskins back here. First of all, I don't think anywhere he goes he's going to get anything more than a year because I think people want to see what he looks like coming off of the injury, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe there is an appetite for the Phillies to bring him back in that regard for one year. One year, $15 million? Do you do that? Well, here's the thing. Bryce Harper I, I, going back to right field? Because I don't think he is, but we'll see. If, Harper, if Harper's will, well, no, maybe he goes to left field, though. Yeah, Maybe. Because then the question is, if you're not bringing back Nola, you're going to have to trade for a starting pitcher. Because like, we've been over this. Like, the free agency list is very thin. Uh, you're it, getting ahead of me now, man. You're it's getting Blake ahead Snell, of me. It's It's uh, Sonny Gray and Aaron Nola. They're the three best pitchers on the on the market. So if you're going to go trade for a, trade for somebody, you're going to have to give up something off the, NA, off the major league roster. Mm-hmm. And... Where do you have the most depth? I mean, it's the outfield. I mean, when you look at what's coming from the minor leagues, too, I mean, you got outfielders who can play. I, I think trading somebody from the outfield group is a real possibility to get a starting pitcher. Yeah, so I had the three questions here to, to end were, is Nola back? Is Hoskins back? Do they shake up this roster with somebody with a trade of a, a key player? And I, in parentheses, have Castellanos um, because I I wouldn't be shocked if that. I wouldn't be shocked either. But I'll tell you, Bob, there is some there is a special bond between Dombrowski and Castellanos. I know. It goes back to Detroit. I mean, one of the things that I paid attention to last night, I don't know if you caught it, but when Dombrowski came through mm-hmm. and started shaking hands with everybody and whatever – there were a couple of guys who got extra special time with him, and Castellanos was one of them. It was Schwarber and Castellanos, most notably, that got it. Um, everybody else kind of just got like a handshake. We'll talk soon. You did a great job for us this year, blah, blah, blah. But I think that Castellanos and Schwarber, they got, they got hugs. They got a message in the ear and a little bit of back and forth. And it was like I, – I, I, I think it, you know, if there's a soft spot for Dave Dombrowski on this roster, I think it's Nick Castellanos, and it goes back to him drafting him in Detroit and 
seeing him develop as a young player into who he is, I, I have a hard time believing he would trade that trade him unless it was a way to completely make the team better. So what does this look like then? Let's just say, let's for a second say Harper goes out the left and you bring back Hoskins. So then what? You trade for a starting pitcher. Who who are you sending? Is that Brandon Marsh then? If not, because I don't think Schwarber's going anywhere. No, I don't either. I so um, so are we looking at Brandon Marsh? Are we looking at does Johan like I know he hit three hundred in his well, so that's regular the thing. season run, but like are people really well so him you, to... you, you 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 the names that you've brought up on this podcast in the past are all the Milwaukee pitchers, right? Yeah. And you know what does Milwaukee look to do because they don't spend a lot of money. So what do they look to do? They look to get major league ready players in position um, to help them win. I'm not saying Brandon Marsh straight up for Corbin Burns or Johan Rojas straight up for Corbin Burns. But if you include one of them plus, you know, a, a, a minor league player or two, maybe like a, a, a you know, maybe a, a prospect like a McGarry and then a lower tier prospect beyond him plus one of those guys. Does Milwaukee look at that and go, man, that's three three players we can get for a guy who's going to walk away from here in a year? Yeah, I mean, it's a conversation they probably should have. Um, I'm just saying. I think, no, I think I know, that's I mean, a more I know, realistic possibility. I know. I mean, they, they the Phillies have a lot of interesting decisions to make here. This isn't just simply a, like a run-it-back scenario. This isn't it, – it's, it's not as, as simple as it looks here. They not only have to try to – patch but they have to try to get better i mean the reality is that they're going to enter next season is a team that has finished behind atlanta 14 games each of the last two years i know that they beat them in the nlds and i'm not going to fool myself into thinking it's it's impossible for it to happen again but like they've got work to do like they're not going to go into this isn't a situation where the phillies were the top seed and got bounced in an upset but at least they have the knowledge that they come back in the next season knowing that they're the best team in the national league and that they have another clear path at it like yeah the Eagles, right? Like the 49ers are, are very much a thing, as we all know, but like the Eagles lose to this lose the Super Bowl, and they can at least shut it down and say, We're pretty damn good. We expect to be back here next year. Right. The 49ers will have something to say about that. But with the Phillies, it's like we're we're pretty good, but oh, the Dodgers spend like crazy and will win a hundred games. Uh, the Braves beat the hell out of us during the regular season. Like maybe we can beat them in the playoffs the third straight year. I guess we'll find out. Like there's no, this is not a clear path back to the World Series. The Phillies have a lot of work to do here, man. Yeah, no, they really do. They really do. And and I think that it was it was also telling. And we can maybe end on this. It was also telling with Harper when he gave his line about "We'll be back." When he said, "We have an owner who's willing to spend money." and Dave Dombrowski, who knows how to go out and make this team better. For him to say that, it tells you that in his mind, there needs to be, and we know he's the assistant GM, right? We, we This is Bryce Harper. I mean, story came out this week, Castellanos saying that he Phillies weren't even on his radar until Harper called him and said, what do you think? Come play with us. Mm-hmm. So we know Harper is, is actively involved in bringing players to this city. Um. We, but you hear him say that it, he thinks that the team needs change. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's going to. I think it's we're going to see change, and I think we're going to see probably more change than maybe we expect, and that's necessarily a bad thing. I think the core will still be there. All the all the guys, all the dudes are going to be there, right? 
but I think that there's maybe not all the dudes. Well, but a majority. Yeah, the majority of them. Yeah, Yeah. but I think that you're going to see the team look differently from players, you know, twelve through eighteen, especially on this roster. Yeah, if you're nostalgic and you think, oh, well, you know, please just bring back Reese and please bring back Aaron and, and that'll be enough. Like, that's not what this is going to be yeah. like that. That is not what they're going to do. No. So should be an interesting, uh, interesting offseason. Just so you know, from a programming note perspective, uh, we've obviously during the regular season here gone twice a week. Uh, we and during the playoffs, we've been going after every game. Uh, we will scale back here now. Uh, we plan to record once a week, probably middle of the week. Um, you know, whether that's Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, I don't know. But we will consistently pump out a show once a week to kind of keep the lights on here. And then, obviously, as decisions get made, as news breaks, as things happen, uh, we will respond uh, with shows and, and, you know, give you those reaction podcasts as well. Um, we really enjoyed doing this show this year. It has grown. Uh, our, our listeners have grown. And we're also going to, I think, evaluate some of our options here this offseason about how we can, you know, really kind of uh, level up a little bit, so to speak, and, and, and grow this thing even more. And so we really appreciate uh, everybody that's been tuning in along the way, new listeners that jumped in here during the postseason run. Uh, you can follow Anthony uh, on Twitter at AntSanPhilly. You can follow me at Bob underscore Wankel. You can follow the show account on Twitter at UpPhillies. And you can make sure you follow us on YouTube as well, anywhere that you get your shows. Uh, and we will be back soon to talk about a very, a very interesting Phillies offseason. Anthony, do you have anything you wanted to add before we get out of here? No, I think that that was – I'm glad you, you mentioned it that way. I, I think that, you know, next week we'll do like a real look ahead, a kind of post, post-mortem, mm-hmm. um, maybe kind of tackle players individually and, you know, who, who we think will, will be back and won't be back and where the organization sits. And then I think the week after that is probably when, you know, tendering – happens and you, know, you start to mm-hmm. see some some names come about and some rumors come about once the world series is over um and then it won't be long bob i mean usually you know by mid to late november you start to see the first dominoes start to fall and i think the phillies are going to be active quick is my estimation in this in this mm-hmm. offseason because i don't think that there's a lot out there free agency wise so whatever is out there is free agency i think the, the moves will happen fast Trades might be a while, might not be till December or January or even February for that matter, but um, it's only 114 days till spring training. Yeah. All right, well, we'll talk to you soon. And we didn't even talk about Taiwan Walker. Did you see his tweets or did you see the the tweets he liked? Yeah, I did. I did. Not great. Not great, Anthony. That was part of, I think that was, you know, we could tie that into the next episode. I think that's a... That's a thing because I'm, yeah, sure I'm not is. certain you know, that he's going to be part of this next year. Everybody knows how Twitter works. He knew what he was doing. We'll talk to you soon.